Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to another edition of Seen Any Good Films Lately. It's the podcast that asks what people are watching and how the movies have impacted on their lives. It made an incredible like impression on me. It was, I still remember, you know, the emotions I had when watching it. And we went to see F.W. Murnau's Sunrise, an incredibly romantic film. And I think at that stage, when we came out of that film, we realised it was going to be a relationship. I've got two guests today, the great Polish director Agnieszka Holland, known for the Oscar-nominated Europa Europa and In Darkness, and for her work on TV shows such as Treme, The Wire and House of Cards. Her latest film is Charlatan, and we are celebrating the return to cinema, the grand reopening. I talked to Jason Wood, who's creative director of Manchester's cultural hub, Home, and he's author of an updated version of his own original The Faber Book of Mexican Cinema. So we'll talk to Jason Wood about what to expect as the cinemas reopen in the UK, what films will tempt us all back, and what the future for movies and movie houses might be. Let's start with Agnieszka Holland, who's a powerhouse of European filmmaking and is indeed currently president of the European Film Academy. She worked in Poland with the greats Kieslowski and Varja. She's fled to France. She's worked in Hollywood. She did TV shows, has enjoyed a recent run of well-received European-based films such as Spore, uh, Mr. Jones about a photographer in Stalin's Russia, uh, and now Charlatan about a Czech herbalist and healer who may or may not have found a cure for all. I caught up with Agnieszka Holland, who's a tiny woman with round glasses, and she always reminds me of Edna Mode from The Incredibles. Long capes! Uh, Agnieszka was in LA, and this was just after the Oscars, and even though I'm sure she's totally fed up with panels about women in film, I just had to ask her about the history-making success of female filmmakers at this year's awards. I'm very supportive for the... And breaking the glass ceiling for uh, for the women filmmakers, and it's it, it's happening slowly but surely. And the the last Oscars have been the one of the proof of that. But of course, it's not it's not usual year, you know, because um because the expensive movies have been not released practically, except a few. Uh, so suddenly, it was the space for more independent and more personal voice. Those Oscars looks a bit like um, a European Film Award, you know. It, it had this a similar flair, which is closer to my heart. And we'll see what it will mean for the future of the cinema, you know. Because, of course, it's risky in the same time that the big blockbusters are inexisting practically and that the audience can be disappointed. That's a, that's a concern, isn't it? Although I know that uh, Chloe Zhao, who won for Nomadland, her next film is is a blockbuster. She's done a yeah, big Marvel film yeah. for the Eternals. So, uh, yeah, she's very, isn't she interesting? She's really somebody you feel very strong personality. So I'm keeping fingers crossed for her future. In all your experience, then, and I'm sorry to go down this road, but it it seems very topical now. What do, what do you think it is that that, that is the resistance here? Is is it just pure ignorance and misogyny that people say well they're 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 females they don't know how to make films we're not going to give them money we don't like their films as a film critic for 30 years i don't really understand 
why you were well, taking no, against I, it. I think it's, yeah, I think it's a deep culture issue. It means it is gender issue. It means, you know, for years and years, it was obvious that that is a serious profession for, uh, for the men and that there are big money involved. And when, where the big money are involved, it's not the uh, women's uh, affair. That is one reason. Another reason is um, the, that very few, that it influenced also, you know, the belief in themselves of, 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 of ambitious women. They are, it was much more difficult to believe that you can succeed on this field. I mean, I'm looking at all, all, your, all your films here in front of me. I've never really thought about this before, but I, you didn't sort of make a film that you were, oh, well, I'm going to be a, con I'm going to put a female character where previously there wouldn't be one. You didn't make particularly female pointing films, I, I would say. No, no, it means I'm, I'm a woman. So when I'm doing the movies about the male characters, of course, it's some, some hint of my female sensibility. The point of view is, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's mine. I did some important for me films uh, with the main female character. One of them was Polish movie Woman Alone in 81, which was, I think, very important film for Polish and, and maybe not only Polish cinema. And um, another um, movie in, um, called Spore, based on the old Gato Katrick's books I did a few years ago and um, with very strong female character. So it happens and I'm very proud of those films, but I did also many films, Charlatan included, um, um, where you be, even don't have the like important female characters. Although your, your new film, of course, is not about a woman, uh, I have to say. And in fact, probably, I don't know if it could be about a woman. It seemed like a, a very male story in a way that, that, that this man, he had to be a man to do this. I don't, I'm not sure a woman would have had the, the strength. Well, he had this woman teacher who, who was a, who is important presence mm. in his life and in the movie. So it could be about her, but because he is much more complicated and ambiguous character, I was, of course, interested more about him. Yes, I don't blame you. He's a fascinating character. The last time we spoke, we were in the middle of the Trump era and and i thought oh yes you're you're you charlatan of course is perfect way to describe trump for example you know the, the charlatan was that relevant when that was making and did it make a difference that now you know trump is no longer there but we i i suppose we still feel the 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 reverberations of that regime and of that time yeah but we started we started and this movie was written before trump and was you know on the map but i was thinking about the manipulation yes and about the the the, the freedom or the independence uh, the human being can have when uh, he's in the hands of the of the regimes and some authoritarian or totalitarian uh, power uh, and how the you know how the reality can be manipulated and and um, and um, and fake uh, fake news or fake uh, alternative realities can be created and destroyed and destroy the man, the, the simple human being, citizen. So yeah, I am political. So yes, of course you are. Uh, everything what I'm when I'm doing making the film, uh, which are not openly political like charlatan or spore. I'm thinking in political way as well. So it has to reflect in the story. Uh, and Jessica, I'm going to ask you uh, some, some questions, if I may, if you're coming on my yes. show. It's mm -hmm. a real pleasure to, to have you. What was the first film you saw at the cinema, Agnieszka Holland? The first film, at least the first I remember that I've seen, it was an American film from 1946. Um, 
called the Yearling. The Yearling. Yeah, it was with Gregory Peck, and it was about young boy who uh, who got little deer and uh, and became friend with him. And after the family had to kill this deer because when he grown, he destroyed the you know crop. It made an incredible like you know impression on me. It was I still remember you know the emotions I had when watching it. Nineteen forty six was the film. Right. Yeah. Yes. Where did you see that? But I had to see it. You know, it was in Poland, so the films, American films, came rarely in this time. It was. Stalinian times, and so probably it was like mid fifties, maybe, maybe you know fifty four, five. I don't know. I was probably I was like six, seven. And do you, it was a sort of I guess it was a a film that was allowed to be shown, was censored, and they they looked at it and seen that it was okay to show it. You know, they they. I don't remember if it was some limitations, age, you know, limits, or so. Probably it was. It was considered the movie for the children. Yes. Yes. The character was, you know, the boy and and, and the and the animal. Do you think that maybe is uh, something that made you still love the natural world? That is this relationship. Maybe you know that certainly it. I was much. It was life. You know, life. Um, uh, live actors uh, show, not the Bambi. Yeah, because uh, a lot of people would say Bambi, you know, when they're yeah, that age, yeah, but you saw the yeah, real life uh, Bambi. And Bambi, you know, it, it means I love to, you know, animation films, but it never like influenced me in such a way like the like with the with the with the real people. So. The yearling is a beautiful yeah. choice. That thank you for saying that. MGM's Children's Matinee presents the famous story of a boy named Jody, a baby deer and a big, beautiful land, the yearling. Come along with Jody on a thrilling hunt for a wild bear. Join in a brawling free-for-all and discover a baby deer deep in the forest, a little pet all your own, a yearling who gets into all sorts of mischief. So what town would this be in Poland? Where would you have seen that? What cinema? Warsaw. I, I, I was living in Warsaw. And there were plenty of cinemas there? It was few cinemas, yes. I don't remember which cinema I was watching that, you know, but... But it was it, it, was it quite a film town that there was quite a lot of cinemas that you could go to? It was a, a popular thing to do? Yeah, of course. Even it was an institution of horses and horses was called Little Horses. It was the people who've been buying the tickets in big amount and after selling it uh, double or triple price for the people in front of the cinema, the people came and uh, wanted to go in, uh, ticket, it, was, it was sold and those guys have been there uh, offering you uh, the entrance for, you know, for the high price. <laughs> and it was practically with many movies, it was, it was difficult to go in, you know, without without paying the double. The extra black market price. Wow. Yes, it was yeah. black market. Yeah, it was illegal, of course. But What's the film that changed your life, Agnieszka? And, I, and for you, I'm going to ask this, like something you saw and had a physical effect on you, like I'm going to behave in a certain way or change my life, or, and also a film that you worked on that, that changed you. I'm not sure if I can recall one single film. I think it was the wave of films uh, in early 60s and 60s, which... Um, and it was uh, films of Fellini and uh, and Pasolini and Bergman and um, 
uh, and Tarkovsky and new French wave and then Czech new wave. It was like such a, you know, incredible wave of the extremely personal, original and powerful films. Uh, and of course, I'm now thinking about some titles, it was uh, probably Bresson's uh, Pickpocket and it was Agnès Varda, uh, Le Bonheur, Happiness, and it was um, Odd Man Out. Odd Man and Out it, of Carol mm, Reed. Was, um, it was for me very, very important A film. British film, hooray, yeah, we got on there. Yeah. Where, where would you sit? This was again in, in Warsaw, in Poland. I was watching every of that because I, I you know, I, I never left Poland mm. before in 66 going to Czechoslovakia. Uh, so yeah, everything I watched in Warsaw, it was actually very vivid. It was very good. It was very good selection of movies you, you've been able to watch in Poland. It was some have been forbidden for political reason. Some been too expensive to be bought by, you know, by, by the distribution. But all those films I'm talking about, I watched in, in, in Warsaw, in the, in the regular cinemas or in the, some kind of the festivals or in the discussion clubs, in the cine clubs. Sure. And was it a cool thing to do? You know, there was a little Agnieszka Holland and she was like a cool student and she was like trendy and she was all fashionable and she would go. No, I don't think so. No, I was a little... <laughs> I was beaten nervous, I think, probably. <laughs> but I was in the same time as a leader of the boys' band, you know, <clears throat> when I was a ch child and teenager. Uh, so I was very, like, active and hasty. But uh, going to the cinema, it was when I decided to become the filmmaker, which I was 15 when I decided. I, I was watching so many movies that, that, you know, I made the notes about every film I'm, 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 I'm seeing. And by the end of the year, and I found the notebook, year notebook, uh, recently, um, I put my favorite films of the year, and in in the year '65, I think, uh, I um, I had 250 favorite films. <laughs> All of them favorite. <laughs> it, I, I, it means I watched probably 500. I, I don't know how many, but today, oh yeah, today if I find two, three, four. I'm really happy. So I don't know if the cinema became much worse, probably, or I became more blasé. Maybe. Yeah, but, but I mean, when, when you talk about it now and you say, well, you, you could see, you know, the diet of Fellini and Pasolini and Truffaut and Godard. We, we don't have that daily diet, I'm afraid. But maybe right. we do. Right, right. What about the I... film that you worked on that, that changed your life? Well, my career certainly had the biggest buzz from Europa, Europa. Yeah. But for me personally, you know, probably the first film I did was more important because it was like, you know, it was like losing the virginity or something. Yeah, and achieving the dream, you know. Did you have a film poster on your wall? As a t I do, actually, I do. What do you have? Uh, it means in different places where I live because I have an apartment in Poland and in Paris, small apartments, so I don't have posters and, um, and the house in Brittany and here in L.A., here on the wall, I have um, my poster is um, is uh, Provincial Actors, my first long feature films. You have your own poster? Yes, my own poster. And after I have the poster of some young friend movies, because they are just nice graphically, Polish posters are sometimes... Yeah, very they're very famous. Polish posters are, great, are very different, yeah, beautiful. So, yeah, so I, and I, I'm waiting to pick up today, you know, some framed posters. Of Polish uh, films? Mm -hmm. Which ones? Um, of uh, some of my film also, Charlatan will be there. 
and spore um, uh, and uh, and some not film posters, but a few posters. I Great, say. and you're going to pick them up today. I'm glad I asked, so I can remind you. If you could travel back in time to any film set and visit it being made a film, which one would you go to? Go to Fellini when he's shooting Roma or when he's shooting, you know, yeah, for sure. Fellini for sure. That would be exciting, yeah. Or there when in, in, in Eniterekberg in the fountain, the night of, uh, in the Dolce Vita, you know. Right. Although that's a night, it was probably or cold. Eight, eight and a half, which is a fascinating movie also. Exactly. You know? So there you go. There's a, there's a great place. Probably I will visit Fellini, all right. Fine, I'll give you that gift. Finally, what, what's the best place you ever saw a movie in? Maybe it's a, your favourite cinema, but it could be a location that you've watched a film. Probably when, you, when we're speaking about Fellini, probably it was Fellini's. Probably it was from, from Satyricon. The locations of the the, the images of the of Satyricon. I think that was his. Um, that was down. Uh, I think it, where he lived, where he grew up, Rimini, and that the, that, that sort of coast. Satyricon was. It, I think it was some kind of the. I don't know. Strange location, which is probably was constructed partly, and partly there are some caves, caves in some kind of the of the you know of the of the of the wall. Uh, and anyway, it made an incredible impression on me. Yeah. But also, you know, much more minimalistic vision of um, of antiquity in, by Pasolini and in, 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 in Oedipus the Rex. Um, it also impressed me a lot. Of course. And, and what's the best place that you've ever seen a movie yourself? Did, uh, like a, maybe the best cinema you've ever been to? What's your, what's your favorite cinema in the world? Unfortunately, all important to me when I was when I was young, film buff cinemas in Warsaw have been destroyed. Oh. You see inside, you know, the, 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 the markets or, you know, this kind of stuff or you know, the big building or something because they've been isolate, isolated cinemas and they've been like the islands of, you know, of, of beauty and dreams to me. So they've been an import, important place on, on Warsaw's map and they don't exist anymore. Oh, what a shame. Capitalism, capitalism killed them. That's capitalism killed the movies. There's your, there's your autobiography title right there. <laughs> and Jessica, just before you go, have you ever fallen in love at the cinema? I had, you know, my first uh, love meeting in, in the movie theatre, yes. Oh, a long time ago. A long time ago, yes. Yeah. But we see, we remember them. And what about on screen? Did you fall in love with a film star? No, I, I, I loved some actors, you know, it means I was impressed by some actors, but fall in love? No, I don't think so. Not even the great, you know, Gregory Peck, very handsome. <laughs> Yeah, he was. It was my aunt, actually, who was in love with Gregory Peck, and she collected the photos of him and wrote the letters to him. So, Did he ever write back? I don't think so. <laughs> That's the thing with movie stars. And yes, Holland, always a pleasure to speak to you. Congratulations on Charlatan. Really powerful uh, and, and clever film. And lovely to speak to you about your cinema memories. I hope I haven't uh, broken your heart about the, the, the cinemas in Warsaw and, and where your loves were, but really lovely to hear about them. Thank you so much for sharing them. Fun with the world. All my best. Take care. Lovely Bye to see you. And Agnieszka Holland's Charlatan is streaming now in the UK. Classy drama with a political slant as ever from Agnieszka Holland. 
course, the interviews on Seen Any Good Films lately are brought to you by our friends at Strike. That's S-T-R-Y-K-K. All the spirit, none of the alcohol. If you want to order your Strike bottles or your cans of pre-mix, not rum and cola, not gin and tonic, just go to strike.com. That's S-T-R-Y-K-K dot com and put in your voucher code Jason40 and you lucky Seen Any Good Film Lately listeners can get 40% off of your Strike order. Cheers, Strike. So now it's back to the cinemas. Yes, they're reopening on Monday the 17th of May here in the UK and no one is keener about that than Jason Wood, who runs the excellent home in Manchester, where I'm sure the cinephiles of the North will flock over the next few weeks to see the big screens and find projections. Jason's updated edition of The Book of Mexican Cinema is also out in a couple of weeks with new interviews with Alfonso Cuaron, Alejandro Inarritu, Guillermo del Toro, all the recent Oscar winners. So how did Mexican cinema get so hot? We'll be asking Jace, and all this we'll be asking him alongside how things have changed for cinemas and for movies over this past year. We've recognised the film landscape isn't going to go back to what it was. I think that that we have to recognise that online is here to stay. And I've said this a few times recently. I was actually at Curzon when when Curzon Home Cinema was pioneered. So I I, I kind of knew that that it was going to become a big player in the market. And obviously now with the studios putting their films online, I don't think we're going to go back to multiplexes being able to dictate, you know, a kind of four to six week window. I think think that's gone. And we recognised straight away that physical cinema and virtual cinema was going to have to exist in some kind of happy relationship and I think the ones that really faced extinction actually were the ones that refused to admit that online was now a thing but I think even those are slowly coming around yeah and what does that mean so it's a thing we recognize it we all know about it so how do you then react as obviously you're not Netflix you're not Amazon you haven't got pockets like those at all how do you how do you remain spry what what does that landscape mean for a programmer in a place like you well what we try and do we try and work in synergy with the distributors and there's some very good forward-thinking distributors they go on our website and on the modern website and you can choose which cinema you dedicate 50% of your virtual ticket sale to and and you know it started off quite slow but it's become a real revenue you know it's, it's going to become a source of revenue but more importantly what it says to audiences it said that while we were closed we were still there to bring you to bring you films and I think we have to recognize that not everybody is going to want to come back to physical cinemas straight away for various reasons health related age related just where they're located so you know we, we want those to be able to experience in film image and, and film culture but we also we also realized that there were some people that do like that 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 home experience uh, and and you know we had customers that enjoyed interacting with us through our digital channel we have our own digital channel now but we're also very very adamant that the physical cinema experience and the virtual cinema experience is a very different thing and you know, as you know, Jason, as a long time cinephile, you, you can't really replicate being in a screen, big screen, lots of other people watching a film on a big screen with the best projection. You're not really going to get that at home. And also in the physical environment, you have the added bonus of directors. You know, we have a lot of directors come to home, but it's that communal sense. You know, I'm sure you can think of films and we're going to talk about some today where you've been in a room with 200 other people and you've really experienced a collective experience and you come out and there's a buzz and you want to talk about your, you know, with your audience members about it. And I, I don't think the home environment can replicate that. So my, my philosophy is, is that one's not going to replace the other. They are going to have to find a way to, to feed off and help each so other. So will the offering that you've mentioned there, that modern films thing where you can, you know, 
see a film and almost pick the cinema, but you're watching it at home on your TV screen or on your computer yeah. screen. That's going to coexist alongside when you, when you open again. That's not going to go away. Not going to go away. And when, when we reopened after the first lockdown and cast my mind back to when it was, I remember that we reopened with The Assistant. We reopened with Clemency. Mm-hmm. We opened with a load of films that had all been very well reviewed, but had all been available to, to stream. And we were still sold out with all of them. I mean, we sold out for weeks with everything. And when we reopen this time on Monday, we are going to have Nomadland and Minari and The Sound of Metal and Ammonite and apples and sisters with transistors and polystyrene i'm cliche all films that that people could have watched at home because we know from talking to our audiences that they want to come and see them with us uh jace we've got you on not not to talk about the future of cinema but of course we're going to do that because you 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 run a cinema uh but you've also got your a new book out or an updated version of an old book i happen to have the first edition and now i'm very pleased to have the second edition of the faber book of mexican cinema by jason wood and you mentioned that we'll talk about some of those big films i remember going to see itu mama tambien at the london film festival its first screening that I was aware of in the UK and and seeing at that marvellous downstairs cinema at the Odeon, what used to be yeah. not the Odeon Leicester Square, the other one in the Leicester the Odeon Square. Odeon West End. Odeon West End, brilliant. Yeah. It was downstairs and the light just shone through the back there and you, just the whole place was full on a Saturday morning for this screening. And it charmed the socks off London that day. I fell in love with that film. I fell in love with that experience. I can see it now, the motes of dust in the, in the light as that as Gael and uh, Diego Luna you know, played on the beach up there. If I was, if I hadn't seen any Mexican cinema, you know, I'm a film student, 16 years old, and I, and I needed a little intro to Mexican cinema, and I'm looking through the, the, the bookshop at the BFI, and I see your book, how oh, brilliant. Uh, but if I had a little season to go with it, and you, you can do this now, you can program one in, in Manchester <laughs> at home, uh, five Mexican must-see movies, where would you start? Um, uh, with some, well, probably... uh, some that are known, and some that would add a little... Add a little well, if, 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 I, if I wanted to sort of keep it relatively contemporary, and not going back to the golden age of Mexican cinema in the, in the 40s, I, I would probably do one that you've mentioned. I'd probably have Vetium on Tambien. Yes, I'm there. there. I'll see that again. I'd probably have Amores Peros in there. Crucial. I would have one of Carlos's. I'd probably have Post Tenebras Lux because I think it's incredible. And then I'd have one or two of the newer ones. I'd, I'd have The Chambermaid. Oh, Lady yes. Revilles, I love that I, film. Which I thought was an, it was an incredible film. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, Me- Mexico has the same problem that a lot of other countries. You know, women are probably given less opportunities to 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 make films. And I thought The Chambermaid was a really interesting breakthrough film, again, released by New Wave. And my fifth choice would probably be a- another Mexican filmmaker who I really like, who's less well known here, who um, Carlos Regalas is a producer of his work. And that would be Ama Escalante. And I would have a film called The Untamed, which was kind of a loose homage is the wrong word, but it was influenced by um, Andre Zulawski's Possession with Sam Neill and Isabella Gianni. And it's a really interesting tale because it's about a very impoverished community. And in this community, they discover this kind of being in a barn which brings men and women sexual pleasure oh my god i saw that film in venice my god that is yeah. out there that is an yeah. out there film that was him i'm at his i knew that yeah. that film was bonkers and yeah. sexy and scary yeah. and, and after an amazing film the untamed uh, listen i'm going to ask you a couple of quick quiet questions because you're sure. getting, get, getting things back to the cinema have you seen any good films lately jason wood sound of metal i like but i also really liked a documentary called sisters with translistors yeah we had uh, we had the director lisa on, on the show last a couple of weeks ago I just thought brilliant, you know, a really good story about women pioneers in electronic music. You know, do you watch, do you watch any rubbish telly? You know, as a, as a, as a leading cinephile tastemaker. Huh. My 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 
thing that I really like is Motherland. I, I yes. just think it's so brilliantly I written. I watched that last night. The first, I was yeah. just cackling away at the, at the lines. Yeah. You know, there's not, not, they're not jokes. They're like, oh, oh, they're just zingers, though. And it's brilliant. And I, and I also found, you know, last night's episode was obviously quite poignant as well. And I think it's, it's one of those things that manages, and, you know, you know, as a parent, that is what being a parent is like. You know, you get to the end of the day and you think, okay, I've done the maths. I've, I've taught the geography. Now I just need the biggest glass of wine that I can find. You know, and that's that is what parenthood is like, and I think it captures that. What was the first is. film you saw at the cinema? Now, now that you run one, ah, well, the first film I ever saw at the cinema, and it was it was released in 1966, and even I, I'm believe it or not, I'm not quite that old, so I saw it released, but the, it was Doctor Who, uh, it was Daleks Invasion Earth to 2050 AD, and I saw it in um, I was in the Scouts, and I saw it in a Scout hut in Streatham, and I think it's about 1974. <sighs> Uh, and, and I remember it because I liked Doctor Who and it was I remember it was projected on 16 mil. And for me, it was exactly the same. The whole um, kind of process of sitting down on, on a seat with people and watching a film. And, and I'm, you know, it sounds romantic and I'm, you know, romanticized. But, you know, and, and seeing the flickers from the project for me, that I was that was it for me forever. I, I just thought, yeah, I like this. And I got chucked out of the Scouts the week after for saying something rather unpleasant to one of the scout masters during a football match. So I was only in the scouts for about a week. And during that week, I got to see my first film in the cinema. So, yeah. That's better than a badge. It's better that I didn't get any badges. <laughs> I was ejected very quickly. <laughs> Don't blame you. Did you have a film poster on your wall when you were younger? I did. And uh, again, this isn't mean to sound... Uh, uh, from very early on, I was a really big David Bowie fan. My, my brother, who was the one that got me interested in cinema, he was a big cinephile, cine still is. Um, he was a Bowie fan. I remember him taking me to see, he shouldn't have, he was babysitting, but he took me to see Iggy Pop and David Bowie was playing keyboards. I, I would have been nine or 10 years old, really young. So I was always obsessed with David Bowie. And the first poster I had on my wall was The Man Who Fell to Earth by Nicholas Rogue, who remains one of my favourite directors. He was someone that I was fortunate enough to get to know in life. Um, and I had all of Rogue's posters. And many, many years ago, I first met Rogue, I interviewed him at the Hay Film Festival. And I told him, that I'd had all his posters and he asked me if I still had them. And unfortunately you may have gone through, I went through a messy breakup and I had to sell my posters and I regret selling an original poster of the man who fell to earth. In fact, I sold post most of performance I had walkabout and I sold oh. them all. Oh. Um, but yeah, the man who fell to oh, earth. That's was the one. Yeah. That was the first one I had on the wall and I'd, I'd love to have it. It's still a film I absolutely adore. What have you got now? I'm quite lucky. When I when I first went to Cannes, I used to buy a Jean-Pierre Melville posters, very cheap. This was in Franks. So looking around the room, I have um, the Doulos, I have the Samurai, I have um, I also have a poster for Godard's Alphaville. Oh, nice. I have Petit's Radio On, I have Chris Marker's Le Jeté, and I also have John Borman's Point Blank. Oh, one and, of my favourites. And I have also um, Warren Beatty film, Parallax View. Oh, again, another another of my favourites. Yeah, I mean, I, now I guess, they you get, I guess you get access every week. I mean, you get four, you know, quad posters coming into your cinema and you have to you can yeah. pick one at any point. And you they, get these three are, I mean, I used to be a bit of a collector. These are all ones that I collected from many. And, and again, you know, when I started collecting them, Jason, they were cheap. I mean, I brought all my Melville posters it, literally in can for like 20 francs. Now they're worth quite a lot of money. But yeah, I've, I, I'm lucky I've got quite a lot of. Great original. I've got also got an original Robert Bresson poster for Lancelot Dulac, which is one of my prized possessions. Beautiful. Um, don't go through another breakup because you've amassed, you, you've reamassed a collection. 
I think that's one of the only reasons I'm still married is that we can't we can't bear ourselves to part to, to divvy up the uh, divvy up the, the film posters. Yeah. Have you ever fallen in love at the movies, Jason? I have actually, and and luckily enough, um, it was with my current wife. We we I met my wife um, when I first started working in the film industry. Nikki Nikki Beaumont, who's also a cinema programmer, much better than I am actually, and um, <laughs> she was in Wales. She used to work uh, for a company in Wales. And, and we met at a film event and I used to travel up weekends. And the first film that we went to see on a date was at the Chapter Cinema in Cardiff, which is a, a brilliant, brilliant cinema who are also reopening next week. A lot of time for the Chapter Arts Centre. It's a bit like home. It's uh, also got a great restaurant, a bar, and, and it, it, it does visual arts as well. And we went to CFW Murnau's um, Sunrise. Oh, and, um, beautiful. You know, an incredibly romantic film. And I think at that stage we were kind of skirting around whether it was going to be a friendship or a relationship. And I think when we came out of that film, we realized it was going to be a relationship. Great. You know, it was a great film to see together. That is a impossibly romantic film as well. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. We're lucky. But we go. did also see the Meg together. So, you know, from the sublime <laughs> to the ridiculous, <laughs> that little, what's the little dog that gets nearly eaten. What's yeah. Pippin, yeah. Pippin, I think. Yeah, his name. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> what's your, I mean, what's your favorite cinema in the world? Well, I should say home, but yeah. I'm not going to. Um, I mean, I, I was lucky. I, I grew up in, in 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 London. You know, my cinema going started in the late 70s, early 80s. And, and you literally could go round, you know, north, south, east and west, the Ritzy Brixton when it was one screen, um, you know, the Camden Plaza, uh, the, the Swiss Centre, um, you know, screen on the hill, screen on the green when it's programmed by Roger Austin. And, and you, you, you could see, you'd pick up time out, and it would list all the all the repertory films and you could go around and see them all as an education, which is one of the reasons why online is great, because now online provides that resource for people. You know, if they want to learn about Ozu or Renoir or Lubitsch or Tarkovsky, they're probably not going to be able to go and see these films as a matter of course in a cinema. They can watch them online. So that's why it's good. But you should just go be able to go around and see them in the cinema. And, and you know, I've always had a close affiliation with the Artificial Life Film Company. Obviously, I worked for them for a yeah, while. Yeah, you did. And the cinemas that Pam, Andy and Robert ran, you know, the original Renoir, um, I like it less now. It's the Bloomsbury, but the original Renoir, the Camden Plaza, the Lumiere on St. Martin's Lane. So the Renoir when it was in the Brunswick Centre, but you just yeah. descended into this, this yeah, thing when yeah, there was a post incredible. in the way sometimes. Yeah, post in the way, incredible cinema. And, 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 and you know, the the um, the Lumiere and St. Martin's Lane, which, which again, you, you descended. It was a real sense of going into something, you know, huge screen. I think it was the second biggest screen in London. It's where I saw Peter Greenaway's the cook, the thief, his wife, mm. and I love her. The, the old Chelsea cinema, where I saw do the right thing. But I think my favourite ever cinema, if I if I had to pick, would 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 probably be the Scala when it was programmed by Jane Giles. You know, you'd go to the Scala in King's Cross, uh, and you would kind of take your life into your own hands because it, <laughs> you know the, the King's Cross at that time was a rough area, and um, but you would go there. And you would just see the most incredible, you know, you would see things like Freaks and Eraserhead. That was where I first saw those kind of films. But you'd also see films like Thundercrack, which is, you know, something that you would never see again. But then, then you would also discover all, 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 all the greats of world cinema. You know, Jane Giles, who I'm sure you've come across, was was just incredible for putting on these Not seasons. only have I come across a Jace, but today I follow her on Instagram. And today, yep. just before I'm, I'm looking at her Instagram feed today, I think she's back in what remains of the Scala, shooting a documentary about the Scala, because she's just written a big book about the Scala, you remember, which, which is a beautiful, beautiful tome. It's worth I have about, it here. Oh, it's worth yeah. about 100 quid. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Um, yeah. 
I think she's making a documentary about it, and I think this she's on set today. And I've seen a little little picture of her being interviewed about it. So yeah, Jane was brilliant, you know, and and, and people like Jane and Pam, Andy, and Robert, and Tony Jones, and to an extent Claire Bins, you know, um, they kind of gave me my education that that was how I learned about cinema of the cinemas that's still going I'm a big fan of the ICA you know I think the ICA you know in a in a in a landscape which I think in the West End has become quite homogenized if I'm honest there are still I mean I think Prince Charles is terrific uh, and the Barbican is good but in Central West End I think the ICA is one of the few kind of avant-garde cinema programs which is left and i think nico marzano who runs it does it does a brilliant job he certainly does another another passionate cinephile jace uh, it's been brilliant talking to you there's so much to talk about with the return to cinema with the mexican cinema and and, and getting through your seen any good films lately questions they're brilliant answers uh, i'm gonna have to leave it there though uh, for this episode brilliant to have you on great guest thanks a lot jason i really appreciate you taking the time i really do Yes, anyone who is going back to the cinema, enjoy it. Wear a mask. It's not that hard, honestly. Just stick it under your glasses. It doesn't get steamed up and then you don't notice it. And if you order some food or eat some food, you can sort of stick it under your mask anyway. Just enjoy being in your seat, not being in your sofa at home. I'll be down at the French Institute, the Cine Lumière, on Monday the 17th of May, welcoming cinemas back. I've got a Q&A with uh, Sir Christopher Hampton, who won an Oscar for his adaptation of The Father, the screenplay to that, uh, and the production designer of The Father, uh, Peter Francis. So if you haven't seen The Father on the big screen, which you won't have, uh, there's a chance. Uh, Monday, the French Institute in Kensington with a Q&A, and maybe Christopher Hampton is bringing along his Oscar. You may have noticed that I didn't put loads of clips in with my guests this week, but they would have been foreign clips, uh, Mexican films for Jason Wood or some of those Italian films from Agnieszka Holland. But let's just remind ourselves of some of the stuff that they were recommending. Great picks. Uh, Fellini's Satyricon and Eight and a Half are big things for Agnieszka Holland, as well as The Yearling, which I'd never heard of as a film before, but looks really funny and cute. Uh, and Jason Wood gave us five Mexican films, E tu Mama Tambien, which I love amores perros which started the whole thing off uh, post tenebras lux by carlos regardas which is set among mennonite farmers it's a very strange and unusual film that one the chambermaid by lila aviles which i think is terrific about a, a maid working in a big hotel uh, in downtown so it's about tourism it's about gentrification it's a terrific film the chambermaid really really interesting uh, and then there was the sexy and trippy and film you've never seen anything like in your life the untamed by amas escalante jason would also mention murnau Uh, and Sunrise as his date movie, and it is the most romantic film. It was an inspiration for Michel Aznavicius' Oscar winner, The Artist, not that long ago, Uh, and it is just beautiful, and if you can see that on the big screen, and it's a silent film, you just delve into that expressionist world. It's just, just gorgeous. So out of all of that... I'm going to give you Jason's three to see for this week. The Untamed by Amat Escalante. You can find that on BFI Player and Amazon. Charlatan, which is the new film by my guest Agnieszka Holland. And that's on Curzon and BFI Player. And The Yearling which Agnieszka recommended as her, the, the, the childhood film that changed her life. And that's on Amazon too, and on Chile. And if you're looking for something different on Netflix, something classy, they're showing the Indian film, The Disciple, which is about a young man trying to become a classical Indian singer with the sitar accompaniment, but finding it very hard to escape the shadow of his legendary mentor. It's a really good film. It's one that I saw and is stuck with me, a world to dive into. It's a film about failure, ultimately, But it's not a downbeat approach. 
It's somehow got levity and heart. I found it totally hypnotic, the film. The Disciple on Netflix. Good on them for finding room for a sort of world cinema gem like this. And a huge audience, I'm sure, awaits for it in India and hopefully around the world. On Amazon Prime, I'm about to embark on The Underground Railroad by Barry Jenkins, who of course made Moonlight and If Bill Street Could Talk. He now gives us his TV show. It's about the network of tunnels that help black slaves uh, escape uh, to the north. I can't wait to see this. Uh, I know it's not a movie, it's a TV series, but that's what I'll be watching until they let me back in to the movies. And I will be back here next week to let you know if I've seen any good films lately at the cinema. Let's go out with a Mexican flourish, shall we? And the music of Itu Mama Tambien when Maribel Verdu picks a jukebox track in the shack by the sea and seduces her two young travelling companions, Diego Luna and Gael Garcia Bernal. Muy caliente. Adios, amigos. <laughs>